0: KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon. Hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com.
1: Good morning, I'm Annika Colbert. It's Friday, July 30th, the Dark Horse Battalion's legacy in Afghanistan. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. South Bay schools are back in session and some campuses are reporting new COVID-19 cases. Bob Mueller is the Assistant Incident Commander for the COVID-19 response for the San Diego County Office of Education. Mueller says it's important to get your child over the age of 12 years old vaccinated.
2: Getting your child vaccinated keep them in school could keep them from missing sports
0: competitions and practices.
1: If students are exposed to a COVID-19 infected person, they have the option to quarantine at home, and school districts and charter schools are required to provide independent study opportunities to that student. More than a year after a fire that destroyed the U.S.S. Bonham Richard, the criminal case is moving forward. The Navy announced charges are being brought against an unnamed sailor who served on the vessel. Bob Shoof is a spokesman for the International Association of Arson Investigators.
0: It's, it's very hard to prevent unless you have some information come out ahead of time that somebody is planning to do something like this and then you could kind of surveil and keep tracks on
1: a separate command investigation will outline what lessons the Navy can take away from the fire. San Diego County Sheriff Bill Gore says he won't be seeking re-election for a fourth term next year. His current position as sheriff ends in January 2023. Gore joined the agency in 2004, first serving as assistant sheriff. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need.
0: KPBS On Demand is supported by...
1: U.S. involvement in Afghanistan is coming to an end after 20 years. And of all the Marine units that served in Afghanistan, the Dark Horse Battalion suffered the highest percentage of casualties. KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh says the Camp Pendleton base unit is still trying to reconcile their legacy a decade after they returned home.
3: By the time the Dark Horse Battalion left Helmont province in 2011, they had 184 wounded Marines. 34 of them amputees, and 25 dead. Among them, the son of four-star Marine General John Kelly. In 2013, before he retired, Kelly spoke at a ceremony at Camp Pendleton. He urged the Marines to honor those who had served their country.
4: And in many cases fought and died for it. And never forget your buddies that never made it home.
3: A decade after the survivors came home it's still difficult to place the legacy of the unit that suffered the highest number of casualties in the war All right, get Let's go. Logan Starr collected hours of footage shot by his fellow Marines as Dark Horse pushed back against the Taliban during heavy fighting
5: and this was kind of in that little sweet zone before the Marine Corps started like highly regulating people filming stuff.
3: He came back that April, and by August, he had left the corps and enrolled as a student at Michigan State. During that whirlwind, he started making a documentary, interviewing members of Dark Horse. Initially, he thought he was the only one having panic attacks,
5: and and that's what I think a lot of people just didn't, and me specifically, I didn't understand. It's like it's okay to be going through all this. Like there's there's reasons behind all of it, and it just didn't seem like we were like really good at communicating that to our peers.
3: His documentary called For the 25 is still on his YouTube channel. Even the veterans of the most celebrated units of the war have had a tough time describing the war in Afghanistan. Marcus Ciccilli lost his left leg
0: to an IED two weeks after he arrived. Every day for that first year when I was back back in the United States was like reliving that moment. It was, it was a really big struggle to try to figure out you know, what my life was gonna be like after that.
3: After two years in the hospital, he is now married with small children and walking on a prosthetic. We were there
0: to protect each other. We were there to bring each other home. We were there to fight, yes, for our country and to accomplish our mission. But every single day was about, I got you. Like, you're my brother. I'm going to make sure you get home today.
3: Gretchen Catherwood's son, Alec, was killed in October 2010.
6: It's it's, it's not an every moment of every day kind of thing, I mean it's it's constantly in my brain and it's always there. There are some days that are horrible and there are some days that are okay.
3: She was in the audience when General Kelly spoke at the memorial in two thousand thirteen.
6: After the remembrance ceremony and seeing the looks in those guys' faces in their eyes, I said there's gotta be something we can do.
3: She and her husband moved from Illinois to Tennessee where they're building a quiet lake retreat for combat veterans to honor the Dark Horse Battalion.
6: You don't want to tell your wife or your mother or your sister, or some of your friends from high school, what you experienced, what you had to do, um, but they can talk to each other. And really nobody can help a combat veteran like a combat veteran.
3: Each bedroom is named after one of the 25 who died with plaques for six Dark Horse Marines who have since died by suicide.
6: And I believe that they are a casualty of war every single bit as much as those who were killed in action.
3: It's their monument to an ongoing sacrifice. In a war that cannot easily be explained.
6: And that was KPBS
1: military reporter Steve Walsh. This story was produced by the American Homefront Project, a public media collaboration that reports on American military life and veterans. Funding comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Today marks one year since eight Marines and one sailor were killed when their amphibious assault vehicle sank off of San Clemente Island. KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne was with their families when they announced a lawsuit against the manufacturer of the vehicle.
6: He was my only son. He was my only child.
5: He was my whole... <laughs>
7: Alita Bath's son, Evan, was a 19-year-old Marine private. He was one of the nine service members on board the sunken AAV. Today, the families of those service members announced a lawsuit against BAE Systems, the vehicle manufacturer.
8: I just want all of our boys to be safe going forward, and I miss my kid. I wouldn't give anything to bring
7: him back. Annie Della Donna is the attorney representing the families. She says the nine men could be alive today if it wasn't for a manufacturing defect.
6: And they got a few people out. Then, tragically, a wave came and swept away all four of those Marines into the ocean. And once again, that door clasped shut, and they were trapped in a dark coffin and no way to get out."
7: Deladonna says, according to BAE Systems, it should have taken 18 seconds per person to get out of the vehicle. That's less than three minutes for all nine men. She says they had 45 minutes to get out, but couldn't make it.
6: It's because the weight of the water and the weight of the cargo hatch door was too heavy, and there was no way to lock it in an open position. So it kept coming back down with each wave and finally they were trapped in and they sank to the bottom of the ocean floor." Deladonna says a
7: 4,000 page military report cited leaks and transmission problems with the AAV but didn't mention anything about the exit being a defect. A statement provided by the Marine Corps said it is committed to identifying the issues that led to this tragedy and to preventing future occurrences. A comprehensive review of amphibious operations is underway, being conducted by Senior Marine Corps and Navy personnel. BAE Systems also provided a written statement saying it cannot comment on the lawsuit, but the company did offer sympathies to the families.
1: And that reporting from KPBS North County reporter, Tanya Thorne. Hemp farms are booming across San Diego County, but some nearby residents say the crop that looks and smells like marijuana but isn't psychoactive is causing major health problems and shouldn't be allowed near homes. Source investigative reporter Kate Cicada has more. Susan Pignatero lives about 500 feet from a hemp farm in Encinitas. She says her family has dealt with dizziness and respiratory problems since October, and there's been almost nowhere to turn.
6: It has been maddening. (laughs) <laughs> all you want is help. And all we were doing was getting brushed off.
1: Pignatero says for months, neighbors have begged city and county officials for help, only to have both say it's the other's responsibility. The farmers struck up the tensions to a distaste for the odor. Josh Schneider runs the hemp farm in Encinitas next door to Pignatero.
2: I think that it's complete garbage what they're accusing us of based on zero evidence.
1: Hemp production at the farm in Encinitas is shutting down and relocating to Vista, but the issues haven't ended. Following pressure from neighbors, the state and federal EPA are sampling the neighborhood, and the county is investigating the farm for pesticide exposure. That was iNewsource investigative reporter Kate Cicada. iNewsource is an independently funded nonprofit partner of KPBS. UC San Diego is getting a $20 million grant from the National Science Foundation for research into artificial intelligence. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson has more.
4: UC San Diego's Jacobs School of Engineering will host one of 11 artificial intelligence institutes. Each institute got a five-year grant with the goal of improving various aspects of AI. In San Diego, researchers hope artificial intelligence will help them optimize the way Specialized computer architecture is built. It's the scale and complexity that's kind of blocking us today, and we want to break through these barriers. UC San Diego's Andrew Kong says artificial intelligence could help sift through mountains of data to uncover efficiencies. Working with local companies is part of the process. We have very natural, tight collaborations or deep relationships with industry, especially in what we have proposed as our focus areas or use domains, namely chip design, robotics, and communication networks. The NSF funding is the second round of funding for artificial intelligence. The effort has now grown to include the work of several hundred researchers looking at different aspects of machine learning.
1: And that was KPBS environment reporter, Eric Anderson. Coming up, it's time to escape.
6: Welcome to Tiki Oasis.
1: The self-described biggest tiki weekender on the planet celebrates its 20th year and returns at a new location at the recently renovated Town & Country Resort. That's next, just after the break. Tiki Oasis returns from quarantine to celebrate its 20th year at a new location of the recently renovated town and country resort. KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando has this preview of the event that runs through Sunday.
6: Welcome to Tiki Oasis.
8: When you come to Tiki Oasis, you are instantly greeted by warm, loving people who are just dressed to the nines. As
2: Miss Tiki Oasis 2019 Phoenix Ablaze proves, or the equally fashion-conscious Gregorio.
5: The idea of Tiki at its roots was the idea of adventure and uh, beach combing and so very comfortable, light clothing in general. Like the aloha shirt Gregorio wears,
2: or anything. That kind of evokes the island feel. Longtime attendee Jim Moore says,
0: it's just a bunch of just crazy kooky mid-century fun tropical, fake tropical, Polynesian wackiness, and it's just it's just a it's just a blast.
2: But there's one thing Tiki Oasis is not, and that's about the real world. It's about fashion, cocktails, kitschy fun, and most of all, escape. For two decades, Tiki Oasis has boasted that it's the biggest tiki weekender on the planet
8: and will quell your wanderlust and quench your thirst. It is just five days full of fun, music, drinks. But maintaining
2: an oasis in a world still dealing with COVID-19 and mounting social justice issues
8: can be a challenge, says Phoenix Ablaze. Like life, it's a balance of just knowing the escapism, but know that there are real world problems that are out there.
2: In an attempt to address that balance, Tiki Oasis created the Diversity and Inclusion Council. Both Gregorio and Phoenix Ablaze serve on the council.
8: So the Diversity and Inclusion Council was created last year and we as a group came together and we felt like we wanted the event to be safe and inclusive and just for all attendees to feel like they belong here.
5: So one of the things that's been said is vintage aesthetic, not vintage values. And with the Diversity and Inclusion Council is How do we help to help those who really don't know what Tiki Oasis is or Tiki in itself to see this as a welcoming and inviting environment for everybody. Phoenix adds that over the past year, the council has done a number of virtual
2: events.
8: And just talking about various subjects, as like Chinese influence in Tiki, talking about the history of the hula girl and what that means and unpacking as much as we can to move away from the cultural appropriation and really just understand the history of Tiki as how it evolved. Tiki Oasis hopes that
2: it too can evolve and in a way that allows it to balance escapism with cultural sensitivity. But at its core, it's about escaping reality and the allure of something that just seems exotic, says Gregorio.
5: As a child, I used to see the bars that were hidden within Chinese restaurants, and they're always dark, but ominous. They had colored lighting and you know, tropical plants, some of them real, some of them fake. But as a, as a child at about seven years old, I noticed these cool little tiki mugs that they were drinking out of. And I, as a child, was so fascinated with that. And that's really where it started for me Artist Jim Moore has been attending Tiki
2: Oasis for years, but decided this year to finally come as a vendor.
0: This is some ceramic monster art that I make. This one is a lamp, for example. It's all based on existing movie monsters for the most part.
2: The Tiki Oasis Marketplace, where Moore will be selling his art, is open to the public through Sunday. Also free to the public is the art show. The main event, which is being held for the first time at the renovated Town & Country Resort, has been sold out for weeks but you can still get tickets for events on Sunday featuring local bands. And last night, Tiki Oasis ushered in a new era for the Miss Tiki competition. For the first time, it not only allowed men to enter, but picked a man to wear the sash and be the organization's brand ambassador for the next year. Beth Accomando, KPBS News.
1: Tiki Oasis continues through Sunday at the Town and Country Resort.